This event was recorded live at the 2017 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Welcome to our Bosco Theatre in our George Street kind of patio area from the gardens. Um, where we come to enjoy the Scotland's fine weather. Uh, my name is Roland Gulliver. I'm the Associate Director for the festival. I'm delighted to welcome you to the final weekend of the festival, our last hurrah, uh, before we all have to go back to whatever we go back to. <laughs> I don't know, because I've been doing this for two weeks, so, you know, food and reality is a... Misery. <laughs> no, we go actually, going back to reading a book. I haven't read a book for a fortnight. Uh, ooh. Over, God, they're <laughs> overrated, though, aren't they? That was a guy. Well, that's telly, that. Telly's where it's at. It's this new thing. You just ruined the event already. <laughs> no one's going to buy you a I book. did warn you. <laughs> um, I'm delighted to, to introduce Daniel Gray. Uh, he's an author and a social historian. According to the internet, where everything is true, he's one of the finest left back, one of the finest left backs in his village. Uh, true. It doesn't say on the internet how big his village is. <laughs> uh, he's the author of many books, including Homage to Caledonia, Stramash, This is Scotland, and uh, the first of this series that we're going to talk about, Saturday 3pm, which is 50 Eternal Delights of Modern Football. Uh, but his new book is Scribbles in the Margins, which is 50 Eternal Delights of Books. Uh, and if there's a better place to uh, celebrate the 50 Eternal Delights of Books is here at the Edinburgh International Book Festival. Daniel also, very importantly, has been uh, a brilliant partner in our reimagination project that we've been doing this year where we've been going around the new towns of Scotland. We did a big project uh, in Cumbernauld in the spring looking at what it means to live in Cumbernauld and the kind of the stories and discover the 50 Eternal Delights of Cumbernauld. Um, 52 there are. <laughs> which was uh, a very rewarding project. And we did a, uh, a project which we brought back called The Smell of Utopia a couple of days ago. Um, so, and he's been in East Kilbride and Irvine, and I think we might send you to Glenrothes next year. That's the hope, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> We're living the dream. <laughs> uh, so please welcome Daniel Gray. Thanks, Roland. There's a terrible chance that Roland and mine's chat will descend into Sheffield Wednesday and Middlesbrough conversation, but we'll try very hard to stick to books. Um, I'm enjoying the rain coming down on this tent because there is a chapter in this book about mm -hmm. reading in tents. It's a lovely noise to read beneath, but I'm going to read a couple of the chapters from the book. It's such a short book that you'll get quite a high percentage of it for free. Although you <laughs> although you've paid to come, actually, haven't you? <laughs> Have you? Have you paid? You better have paid. The first one is called Handwritten Dedications in Old Books. To my dear husband, August 16th, 1936. From Betty with love, Xmas 49. To Sarah, keep this with you as you go. Love, Mum and Ron, kiss. Each of these sits snug in the top left-hand corner of an inside cover. It is almost as if the words know they shouldn't be there and are attempting to creep from the page. The handwriting is always ornately joined, husband like an unfurled and manipulated streamer from a party popper, Xmas like a careful red arrow vapour trail, and the ink is charcoal black or early evening blue. The messages carried are celebratory and loving, though often in the simple and restrained language of their age. 
Sometimes you sense that pen and ink liberated a book giver not prone to spontaneous declarations of affection to go wild. To darling Thomas, happy birthday, father. There are in-jokes too, knowing references we will never understand and the vaguest silhouettes of lives. Such great unknowns of book dedications are a significant part of their charm. We are transported backwards to when this book was first chosen and given a story within the story, but this time we will never know the ending. Did Thomas enjoy the book? Did the dear husband even read his? Did Sarah carry hers and to where? As so many are dated like vital contracts, we can smother these notes in their historic periods. Anything written to a son between 1900 and 1914 is especially poignant. But still, we are only guessing at what happened next. Did the receivers like the book, perhaps lend it to friends? How many times have these words been loved before? Was it not really the title sought after, unwrapped impatiently on Christmas Day and gladness feigned? How did it end up in the second-hand shop or in the warehouse of the online used book retailer? Had it been cherished until death, ha- death and house clearance? or passed around, through the ages, a restless minstrel yet to find home. These paper time machines shroud us in the comforting thought that a book has a life, and we are now part of it. They add an extra layer of pleasure to buying an old book, and create a timeless connection between you and a long-gone reader. The two of you now share a never-to-be-revealed secret. Your lives may have been lived in very different worlds, but they are united by the exact same ink and characters. The next time you give a book, take a moment to write a few brief words to the gift's recipient, for you are also reaching out a hand to someone who hasn't even been born yet. Thank you. As a reminder that Scribbles in the Margins on Saturday 3pm will be available for £9.99 after the event, (laughs) this chapter I'll read is called Beginning a New Book. New books find their way to us via a number of routes. Most obvious is bricks and mortar store browsing. There we are, in a shop, reading the back cover, brushing fingers over embossed titles, handling and patting, appreciating the book as an object. We can tickle spines and open up to brush pages and, if no one's looking, devour their smell. If everything chimes, then the book is placed in a restless headlock, claimed as a joey kangaroo in its mother's pouch. Chances are that it will soon have siblings. Our eyes are bigger than our bedside tables. Or perhaps a new book may be fostered from a library or foisted upon you by a friend who insists you will appreciate it. On the way home, blurbs are again consumed and other furnishings idly absorbed. The review quote and the about the author, the writer dedication and the font declaration. Then there is that saintly thud of an online order plummeting from the letterbox or the luscious scrape of cardboard on floor as, on returning home, you push the front door against the package. To buy online leaves you blind in comparison with bookshop scrutiny, but the gamble is surely worth the prize of feverishly setting about unwrapping the parcel. We are Charlie Bucket unwrapping a Wonka bar, and there is a golden ticket feeling every time. By whichever route a book finds us, in our hands we now hold, we hope, a future escape. 
We are cradling delayed giggles and sobs, outcries and cheers, and flicking through pages among which we will soon find the time to lose ourselves. Before the reading begins, there is a pregnant sense of promise. The experience of this book will, if we have chosen well, enrich us and make us feel. It will pluck us out of the humdrum and cast us into uncertain and curious terrains or drop us in sepia times. At this point, we do not know quite where we are going, how we will get there, or indeed whether we will even enjoy the ride. In the dawn stages of a slow-burning novel, a creeping fear can set in that this is not the book for us. Press on, though, and to find a gloopy book now motoring along by page 100 is a separate joy. Frequently, starting a new book does not mean finishing another. There is no shame in that. In fact, it stands to emphasise just what a fine thing beginning a new book is. It is worth cheating on other titles for. It is almost impossible for us to stop ourselves. The covers are open and we are off, once more at the mercy of a new tale. It is a familiar and yet original excitement as another journey gets underway. Thank you. I hope you're very much enjoying my habit of saying thank you before you clap. (laughs) (laughs) I started to read because of the mobile library in our village where it was the best left back. Um, (laughs) The memory of the mobile library sitting on the village green is extremely crisp in my mind, uh, as exciting as the ice cream van really. Um, and all my life I've loved libraries I've worked in a library and I frequently write in libraries and I feel uh, extremely worried uh, about the threat to libraries so this chapter is called Libraries, imagine if it was something else (laughs) this is about reading in a butcher's shop (laughs) chapter 23 libraries whatever the shape and architecture of the building, a library is utopia realised Whether stout bricks with the gentle grace of a mourner or brutalist chamber clamped onto the side of a school, this is a structure brimming with promise and nourishment. On main street corners or among tidy hidden precincts, with castle doors garnished by chiselled mottos or slender windows traced by blinds, each one of them performs the same purpose of human enrichment and sanctity. The world indoors never differs. Devout librarians create urgency from thin air, pecking at keyboards or shuffling overdue lists, chaperoning creaky, varnished carts around and filing the returned like new mothers placing their babies in a Moses basket. They pause for fond looks at the jackets of preferred books, each spine with its shelf-marked code in familiar typewriter font, each date stamp a footprint of readers gone before and each shelf with its alphabetical ordering. These things align to provide the orderliness so cherished in a library. There is safety and structure among the stacks. Everything has a place and you have found yours. Beyond the romance section with its thick hard volumes by Ellers, Joannes and Paulers and behind the audio book and DVD racks turning gently as a lollipop lady's baton, the children's corner shimmers. What magic for the new kid on the book and for the rest of us to look back upon and savour. It is all there, the cavernous boxes of large square books which clack when inspected by mucky fingers. 
worn and sagging beanbags to dwell on, laminated posters to aid counting progress, fact books about flags and dinosaurs, and teenage fiction with its effervescent front covers. A toddler settles upon his father's lap and demands to be read to. To those glancing on, it is a reminder of the majesty an early library visit possessed. Those hours were a quiet buzz, the library card a secret pass. How could it be possible to ransack a room of its books and then carry them home and place them in yours? You didn't even get into trouble. In fact, you were encouraged to undertake such a task in broad daylight. Among such areas, our lives mapped and shaped, their owners' hearts lost to books forever. Upstairs, in the reference room, amidst wooden cases and long thin drawers, amateur historians plot muddy fields on maps, and an uneasy middle-aged man studiously consults back issues of which magazine. A sleeping pensioner, here to read the newspaper, wakes himself with a nod. Back in the main library, a mum on her lunch break returns the kids' books late, a well-tuned smile deployed to avoid a reproachful look from the librarian. A bored lady in her 70s pops in for another crime thriller to make the slow living room clock hands dance. Earnest students find partial silence and spare plug sockets to revise and fret, and the disenfranchised use an internet simply unaffordable at home to complete job application forms. For such a slow, hushed place, time skips along in a library and it brims with life, whether that life crumbles or thrives. These places are havens and stimulants. Their success cannot be measured in how many times books are beeped or in their cost per head. They are communities and refuges, growers of knowledge and vibrant democracies. Imagine closing them down for margins and savings. What ruin! Go delight in one before some 21st century barbarian miser has his way. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I like the fact that you reading the stories was a bit like when you read the book, when you could see people doing that thing that you do when you're reading a... Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> that silent chuckle. It's always a relief after you've written a book like that and put it out there to find out you're not a bit mental. <laughs> or at least millions of us are. <laughs> um, so I guess, just to start, how, how did the inspiration for the series, the kind of 50 Eternal Delights, where did that... But how did that begin? Well, like I think most of the great literary ideas of the 20th century, it happened in Weatherspoons <laughs> um, in, uh, in Durham. Popped across to that one over yeah, there. Just yeah, yeah, they're, they're selling that off, actually. There's a little uh. Weatherspoons fact for you. I might, might look into that. Um, uh, in Weatherspoons in Durham, they had one of these, these piles and shelves and shelves of books where they buy them in en masse um, to make it have that kind of uh, intelligent air that you can get as people drink apple sours next to the fruit machine. Um, <laughs> And I'm a great believer in taking my daughter into pubs. I think it's in every parenting manual I've ever read. <laughs> and she was five at the time, and to entertain her, I was saying, pick Daddy a blue book, pick Daddy a red book. She picked out a blue book that was called Delight by J.B. Priestley. Um, Priestley's been my favourite writer for years and years. I'm trying to read all his novels, and there were many of them. Um, all of my writers, favourite writers seem to be dead for some reason. Uh, and... Um, I'd never heard of this book. Delight was written in 1947. It's uh, about 120-odd essays of things that were still palatable and enjoyable about the post-world war of, of you know, difficulty and poverty and bad memory. Things like sm- smoking a pipe in bed 
fountains annoying a civil servant, many of which annoy, uh, remain, a, remain a truth now. And I really loved that way of looking at the world because the last few years haven't been the easiest time to be a human on this planet, really. Well, worse for a lot more people than us. But um, And I feel like we needed cheering up and reminding that there were good things in the world still. There were the minutiae to, to uh, revel in are still mm -hmm. all around us, I think. I enjoy the rain, for instance, which is ap very, very lucky when you live here. <laughs> um, and uh, at that time, I was going through one of my regular periods of falling out with football, even though football's basically my life, <laughs> apart from my wife and child. Uh, <laughs> and, and I started to, to list on the way home what I still loved about football. Surely there were things, not just nostalgia, but things that still existed about football in the, in the manner of J.B. Priestley's delight. And I found there were, and that the result was, was Saturday 3 p.m., which has is, which is done well. I think people are, that like football are also trying to remind themselves why <laughs> they like it, which is probably why it's done well. Um, but I realised it, it could be done really with the other mm. things that I escape into. And the second thing I escape into after football is I escape into books. And this format lends itself to me having absolutely no concentration because of having a seven-year-old child. <laughs> um, and that you use that word, um, escape. And, it, and one of the things that came out from reading the, the 50 is, is that idea of... Uh, of escape and, and saying that it's, it's all right to escape. Was there a, a for you writing them, there are many different format, forms and, and ideas. And was it for you as a writer, as a reader, to tell other readers that it's all right to escape? Yeah, I think so. I think that, that we've sort of, in some ways, readings become quite serious and the amount of review sections and the weighty, weighty tomes and. Um, it can, we can lose sight of the fact that it's just a very, very lovely hobby mm. and a probably the most efficient way of switching the world out, for me anyway. The other day, um, I've chaired quite a number of events at the book festival, as you know, and I, one of the novels came in late, and so it was 450 pages, and I read it between nine and half three. Um, and I haven't read that <laughs> intensely in, in, in a long time, but it's one of the happiest days I've had in it, despite the fact it had six murders in it. It was, one <laughs> of the, it was one of the happiest days I've had in ages because I had to just sit back and lose myself in the book. The telly didn't go on. I didn't look at my phone. Um, mm. I sat in the, in the outhouse just reading. I called it an outhouse. It's a summer house, but I need to cling on to some sort of working-class credentials. So. Uh, You're in conservatoire. <laughs> yeah. You'll get it. <laughs> and yes, and so just to be so... Um, Intensely reading mm. like that also reminded me that it it just it can take you so far away. The trouble with that is I then had to get through Edinburgh to the book festival, and you're really maladjusted and on a completely different planet mm. by the time you got to speak to someone. <laughs> and so, uh, why why is uh, the kind of the art of reading why why is that more valuable than you know we're both parents and we both watch our, I watch my son go. Yeah. And go, Look, you're in a book festival. Why? Why is that? Why is the escape? What's? What does the escapism of reading? I think it's create? completely full. Um, I think it's completely a, a dedicated kind of escape. Whereas all other types of escape are usually a distraction. Apart from from football, I would argue. <laughs> um, and I think that it's such an, an intense form of this escape, and yet enjoyable. Mm. And I and I think that. Um, kids are clearly still loving being read to. There's a chapter in there called um, Watching a Child Learn to Read, and there's one called Reading to Your Child, because mm. that has been the greatest joy of fatherhood for me. Yeah. Um, all of that, just shutting the world out when we close the bedroom door and I get into bed with my daughter and we read, it's 
a wonderful thing. And this very old-fashioned art form is still illuminating children. So before the screens get to them, and even when the screens have still got to them, they're they're escaping and asked to say something. Mm. Yeah, and I guess there is that that thing, isn't it, of... So in writing the the book, did you feel that um, you had to kind of almost fight against that battle of people saying the book is dead yeah absolutely and luckily pressed by as it came out at a time of when you know waterstone sales were up another they were calling it the the death of the kindle but the kindle will live on it's just that people have realized it's possible to like both as it happens i've never read it on a screen i've not got a kindle or anything but i'm very happy with any kind of sale to be honest um (laughs) (laughs) oh i did forget to say there will be a signing (laughs) after the event (laughs) I think that's a subliminal yeah. message that <laughs> Daniel's given me. <laughs> Change from a tenner. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Cheaper than football. It's, yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's been a really heartening thing, hasn't it? Mm. I mean, you must feel that as a, as a book festival. These objects are, are living on, one of the f- last relics of, of <laughs> the former society, and thriving. But mm. the thing is, books are more beautiful than ever been. When you go into a bookshop... Uh, you know the designs of covers mm. are absolutely in, they're, they're, they're very high at the moment and in this country anyway um, and um, I, I think there is still no greater way to furnish a room than with books and um, you know you can't really feel very angry in a room full of books so <laughs> there are many many reasons that this object will will continue to, to I think it reached a sort of level and it'll continue mm. to, to rise or at least be part of our society for Forever, I think. Yeah, no, it, it's true that the, kind of the book, you know, has survived. Mm. I don't, think, I, don't you know, I think the book itself was he was the book was fine. Yeah, yeah. People were worrying too much. <laughs> yeah. Don't worry about me. Yeah. I'll be all right. But it is, <laughs> but it is really kind of rejuvenating to see how mm. books are being te- the technology almost that has made e-books possible has made the possibilities for yeah. creating books as an object. And I think what you get is people buying on an e-book and then reading and enjoying it and going out and buying the object to have on the shelf, which mm. is a really great thing, especially if you're an author, because that's two sets of royalties. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Daniel does write for the love and the pleasure, not for the, the royalties. Um, how, how did you go about choosing the 50 delights for the... It was very quick and very easy, actually, for both books. I'm up to... Uh, I've got another 60 football ones for... An, uh, <laughs> not that anyone wants to see the second half. Um, very quickly and easily, actually, with... In a, in a pub, usually, I will write lists. It's, uh, one of the chapters in there is called Reading in a Pub. I'm just hopefully about to sign a deal for a German edition, and they, one chapter they've asked to swap is Reading in a Pub, because apparently they don't read in pubs in Germany. So there you ah. Um, and, uh, yes, very, very easily, just... Um, I always like to, when I do lists, I, can't, I think it's a, a, is it a situationist technique, I can't remember, of writing the thing and then writing the opposite thing and then eventually whittling them down like mm. that so you've at least doubled what you've got on the page. But yeah, quite, quite easily there were, you know, there were the ones rejected and <laughs> ones that we pulled out and swapped around mm. at the last minute. Because it's very much um, the act of reading, but mm. also the kind of the, uh, the paraphernalia that comes with the reading from the, yeah. from the smell of the book to yeah, organising your bookshelves. Yeah, and um, I mean, there's one about impromptu bookmark because when I open old books, old train tickets will fall out. <laughs> and old, uh, I always like, f- like I found um, uh, a bank receipt, an advice receipt, as they're hilariously called, 
um, from 1995 recently, which was one of my early teenage bank accounts, and I had 86p. And I was just thinking, <laughs> it's brilliant. I read this, this book when, when I was 14, and now here it is again. And I've got, I've got about £1.86 now. So, it's <laughs> so everything's going Your fine. Your secret squirrel account. <laughs> um, again, yeah, one of the favourite ones for me is uh, the going to someone's house mm. and, expe- and, and inspecting their bookshelves. Yeah. I think there was great, great relief when uh, people realised the book was surviving because if we'd had only Kindle books, then how else would the, the middle class have fallen in love with each other via looking at <laughs> each other's bookshelves? Um, um, yeah, I, I, an absolute addiction, and I can't help it. Even if you go into someone's house and it's a, just a small pile, um, I, I really ignore them and look over their shoulders and look <laughs> what, what they've got. And not, I really hope it's not judgmental. Perhaps deep down it is, but it's more to see if we've got books in common, I think. And mm. uh, more often than not, there'll be something. And um, yeah, I, I just, it's an addiction, I think, by yeah. now. We never had that many books in our house, not from, because uh, my parents didn't read or anything, but you didn't really. I think books were more expensive, obviously, in the 80s and 90s, and because we went to the library mainly. And they were always behind like a glass thing in <laughs> one of those massive um, units an encyclopedia and various different and that's the same in all my friends houses so I guess there's still that element that I'm amazed to see books when I see a lot in houses particularly yeah. it's quite a wonder it's like going to someone someone that's rich their, their house basically <laughs> <laughs> and uh, there's a brilliant uh, video on YouTube where you see Umberto Eco walking around his house and yeah. it takes about 10 minutes and the, the, the it's just everything is books and I was like I, I, I quite like that I know. It's quite sickening in Guardian supplements and things, isn't it? <laughs> they write these joyous articles and I just go, oh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my Ikea billies. <laughs> it, it is the Ikea billy, I think, is the, uh, it's the, it's the perfect one. But it is interesting because there is... As well as talking about being an escapism, there, you, you almost you write about reading as being something that's quite subvertive, as though you know, you're rebelling against the rest of the world, and you are actually it, we all part of this kind of secret. Well, society. it can it can feel like it can. One of the chapters is about reading on public transport, and when you get on a bus now, so many people are reading the free newspaper. Actually, I'm not on telly, so I call it the Metro. Many people are using <laughs> the Metro. Um, and so there'll be one, one or two people only reading a book, and I always feel a unity and a solidarity with them. And um, it's, it, it has become a bit like that in public, anyway, almost dirty, because clearly you should be reading the, getting brainwashed by the free newspaper owned by the Daily Mail, PM. Um, and so, yes, I think there does feel like an act of rebellion at times, and to be the only person in the pub reading a book and things like that. And it is a secret bond. And uh, there's the funny thing I find when I see someone reading a book I really love and I feel like making eye contact, but that would just be weird because they'd go, what, what are you doing? Because I'm not holding it or anything. <laughs> Is there, we do need like a special. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When you sit on the train, it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I love spying on what other people are reading. It's one of mm. the, the joys as well, absolutely. And indeed a chapter in there. I'm really give, selling this book well by telling you absolutely everything that's in it. <laughs> but the, but the th- I think the, thing, the beauty of the book is your eye f- for detail and your eye for cap- capturing um, character and, and the moment. And you know, we did the, the piece on the library about the different, mm. the different characters we see mm. when we go to any kind. And it's, and it's that thing where you read it and go, oh, oh yeah. And that's what reading is when you have that moment where you go, I, know, I knew that. Yeah, but I actually needed a writer know. to just to kind of 
tease it out, I yeah. guess. The, the Conversely, you lose yourself in a book and yet I become even somehow more aware of my surroundings at the same time. Mm. It's very strange, very strange. Um, somehow sharper, I think. I think reading makes you immediately sharper and, and, and aware of what's around you. And I sit around and stare at people an awful lot. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's the thing, the book is just go like that, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I need to it's get the my best thing about the book. Yeah. It's just staring at people behind you. I need you. to encourage my mother to read in public because she just goes... <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> but there is a lot actually there is a lot about the book because the, bu- the book is reading is a very intensely personal mm. thing for all of us that, we, that our relationship to what we read is, is we can't share it mm. but what lots of the lots of the experiences here are about reading it in public and being in a public place and how you then interact yeah, and I think it's quite nice the idea that people will read that hopefully and talk about. I do that, and I do that. And I, you know, I get things on Twitter of people saying, "Oh God, I thought it was just me," and that's a really <laughs> nice thing because, yeah, absolutely, it's. I, I love the solitude of it and the privacy of it, but also mm. chatting about a book you love and chatting about impromptu bookmarks or whatever is a really uh, nice bond, I think, and it's. Mm perhaps more democratic than writing about football which ultimately is going to alienate people that don't like football um, it's a bit more universal I think so that's nice to bring in a new set of readers mm. for me in yeah. theory because it's, it's a strange thing that we're I guess for me as a festival programmer to have this very intensely personal thing but we're all here sharing it and trying to yeah, yeah. explain it to each other yeah that's absolutely absolutely true So and that gives me hope about the health of the book I suppose and also it's a very um, emotional book in yeah. that sense of crying in public and yeah <laughs> and uh, well indeed and laughing in public as well because mm-hmm. that, that, I mean that's a private thing as well whereas when you go to watch stand-up comedy or a play or the cinema you laugh together but the private laugh of a book we've all been caught at that moment in public of feeling quite embarrassed <laughs> at ourselves uh, for laughing at a book and it's, that's a really interesting type of, of laughter and private <laughs> emotion and, and um, yeah c- crying crying at a book I don't being such a hard northern male that <laughs> fights a lot I don't uh, I don't cry much but I do cry at books a lot I, oh, cr- I cried four times at one novel yesterday towards really? the end not proper sobbing Sorry. It all got, it's all been it's, it's been a long book festival, hasn't it? I've, <laughs> I've chaired true. nine events. I'm, That's true. I'm totes emotion. <laughs> <laughs> That's a very lovely thing. And I was yeah. I think laugh. I find actually when you laugh out loud at a book, I go, oh, that's a really because I very rarely laugh out loud at reading a book. So and uh, that's because you're miserable. <laughs> that's because you of Yorkshire parentage. That's yeah. <laughs> I've got mixed, mixed Yorkshire Lancastrian parentage, <laughs> tormented. It won't help. Yeah. But there, it's interesting, there are things that um, some people, uh, other people I know who ra- who've uh, read it, have reacted against. And I wanted to do a little straw poll of two things that are in this book. So, who here smells the book? Oh, this half. Not, uh, who here breaks the spine so <laughs> being, doing my Jon Snow <laughs> Boscoometer <laughs> if you smell the book I, I think if you smell the book you don't break the spine if you break the <laughs> spine you don't smell the book so who smells the book and breaks the spine 
Oh. Look at that. There we go. In centre. It's the Lib Dems. It does. It is. Four of them. <laughs> uh, you, got, you got your... From my perspective, <laughs> I won't number it there. <laughs> See, yeah, I am. Uh, I, I, I smell the book, but I don't. I can't break a spine. Whereas I used to be against that. It is a hot topic, as you could yeah. tell. It's, it's gonna proper kick off outside, <laughs> especially if everyone piles into Weatherspoons. <laughs> um, but I, I don't care anymore. Isn't that terrible? <gasps> it's controversial. I, I, I physically react. Because <laughs> certain people I work with just do the whole. Yeah, and I, mean, I, and I, I go. Oh, no, that's so it's like scratching yeah. fingers down a blackboard for you. And then they go, well, well, so what? Are you, what are you I, I've grown to really love the marks we leave on books. That's why I think I also being a, another tight Yorkshire get. When I realised <laughs> most of my books weren't worth anything, I stopped caring so much about spines. Oh, you just but said <laughs> you wanted to sell <laughs> them on later. <laughs> but, but also, no, I love seeing the marks on them. There's a chapter in there called uh, Blotches, Stains and Other Marks on Books. Uh, my, this copy that I read from has got, this is getting very boozy for te- 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning, but mm. it's got a lovely red wine there, which reminds me of getting ready for an event somewhere uh, in... in and so I go past the spines and it shows that I've loved the book and I see this, you know, the, the different creases and cracks on them and mm. I like that. It means I've added a bit of myself to the book, I suppose. Mm. The, the blotches of sun cream take me back to the square <laughs> in Barcelona where I read it and things like that. Mm. So I quite like that, th- that we can leave a mark on the book, yeah. controversial as it is. Don't break my spines, though, I will kill you. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's that thing, is it, that the book, as well as being the book you've read and the story you have in your head... It's it's a memory object. Yeah, yeah. That's that's a thing I've only really appreciated properly sitting down and thinking about the book. Mm. I never really thought about that before. But of course it is, you know, those receipts falling out of the books. Mm. The, the just looking at any volume coming across a book from childhood. The other day we were doing an event um in East Kilbride because you really think I'm glamorous, so you sort of send me to the real high spots. Um, I, live, I live quite near East Kilbride. <laughs> I know it's good. But we, we, yeah. Yeah, let's let's talk about it later. Um, Lovely. And Robin events. Robin Jarvis was there, who wrote the Whitby Whitby mm. Witches. That I loved uh, sort of when I was eleven or twelve and Warlock in Whitby. And it, that was a lovely, absolutely incredible moment. He just went, "Oh, you're making me feel really old." <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was just thinking about the cover all day after that. And when you see one of those covers again, and a special privilege of being a parent is when you have... have I've, my mum's recently moved and we've been getting old books from hers that were mine. So I'm reading the same Danny Champion of the World that's my copy with my little writing into my daughter. So that's an extra privilege of it all. And I've never thought about that continuity, about the object properly until I did this. But that's, that's mm. a really special thing when you're not in the kind of family that has heirlooms and things like that, <laughs> that's as close as you get. And yeah. It's pretty special. So do you look... Because one of the ones is about organising your bookshelves, which I think we all kind of get mm. lost in. Uh, do you organise your bookshelves then by memory? As in, so I, I think that would be a lovely way. You, m- you mean in, in High Fidelity, in fact, when mm. Rob reorganises his record collection like that after a breakup with Laura, doesn't it? So you mean like that so you yeah. would... Yeah. So you go, oh, that was 2012. I'd, I'd really like that to do that. That's probably my next project. Because <laughs> <laughs> obviously Paul Oster was here last week and I was like, oh, I could get him to sign my copy of New York Trilogy. And I was like, well, but that was me from <coughs> so many years ago. Yeah. Uh, that would kind of distort the space-time 
continuum yeah. of, of my reading. Oh, that's interesting. So you, you wouldn't do it in the end? No, I didn't. No. No. No, that's a very I'm nice way to do it. I'm just, in our house, it's, it's novels and then it's non, uh. non-fiction, alphabetical within, but... <laughs> uh, we're we're oh, getting into detail now. Then what do you do? Genre, then alphabet, and the non-fiction. Though I'm not, I'm not off. How do you how do you define your genres though? Just the Dewey Decimal System. <laughs> <laughs> but what it's happens? Just perfectly, perfectly normal behaviour. <laughs> God. <laughs> Anything else is barbaric. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Anyway, I've, I'm going to go before I delve into psychoanalyzing <laughs> Daniel's books. But, but if you do themes, how can you do genres when you got? What's it, where does travel writing and cookery go? If someone, well, that's not a wonder. That's that's too. I wouldn't have cookery books. You know, they're upstairs, aren't they? <laughs> uh, well, our house is the other way around. I should explain. So we, my book room is on the downstairs, and the living room's upstairs. So cookery books are upstairs. Uh, yeah, there. I don't oh know no. about cookery books. I think. My friendship with Daniel has taken a turn. (laughs) (laughs) Um, (laughs) We we shall ask you some questions. Uh, Like, why are you two sitting on this stage? Uh, There is a roving mic. (laughs) (laughs) I've often wondered. (laughs) (laughs) Please do uh, ask your questions. Grill Daniel's Dewey Decimal decimal System. That's why I can't (laughs) file my books like that. It's it's the second, it's the last three days. We can't speak anymore. Hi. Hello. Um, do you set yourself targets for reading, say, a number of books a year, a number of pages a day? No, I don't actually, um, though I do sort of count back and feel satisfied, I suppose. But one of the great challenges is finding the very time to read, so reading in bed is hugely important to me, um, and, uh, and, and public transport, they're probably my two key reading areas. But no, I, I guess when I'm when my child's older and I've got a bit more time I might start to get back to reading at the levels I once did but at the moment I'm happy to be ticking along and, and reading and in the last two months I've just been getting through the 14 books that the book festival sent me to read so which is good it's free books isn't yeah. it <laughs> which you can sell on for a profit yes that's true if, if you I don't break, break the spine <laughs> yeah um, but do you, do you do you keep reading lists no I should shouldn't I, I guess my bookshelves are my reading list uh, in a way yeah Lady, question. You said you had lots of extra delights for your football book, mm. so I presume you had more for the, the Scribbles in the Margin book. Can you tell us about some that you left out? Yeah, I mean, I didn't write about the these b- boards. What's the correct phrase for these? The back? No, the, the, the in, these particular um, pages I could write at least 800 words on because on this, the, uh, the, it's just a beautiful page. thing. <laughs> it's a... Uh, you don't smell it, you just have to go right into that. Oh, no, but these have their own smell, it's sort of... Of um, the glue. Off yoghurt. <laughs> but I like off yoghurt. It's good for yeah. bacteria. Damp, um, damp yurt. Yeah, damp yurt, yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, what was the question? <laughs> yes, I, I would... Uh, something, like, something like that, absolutely. Um, what else was I thinking about the other day? I had a, a, a new one the other day. I've gone completely blank, this always happens. But there are definitely five or six. I'll tell you one that we took out was um, my granddad's books about the war because it was just too personal and while a lot of this is personal um, it is a hope universal I suppose and that was just all about how my granddad did uh, all uh, the only books he had were the ones about the ships he was on in the war or like Len Deaton novels or Deaton is it about uh, the war itself but that was too personal so I took that out um, I must admit there is a slight and ridiculously Unpolitically correct temptation to put it back in for the German edition instead of. 
We're all friends now. <laughs> I'm not sure where to go after that. There's <laughs> um, a question here. <laughs> Hi. Um, do you have a view on how many books it's acceptable to have on the go at any one time? Oh. Oh. Oh, it's the same as, same as partners, I suppose. So, f- five? <laughs> I think it's fine to have... One for the weekend. A couple, yeah. <laughs> it's a non-fiction and a couple of novels on the go is probably, I reckon. But no, there are no rules to reading. I'm, I'm all for any reading, really. With it, you know, apart from Mein Kampf or something. It's, God, this, what's this about? It's <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully no one's tweeting live on this one. <laughs> it's, they never cover my events. It's fine. <laughs> the best thing about being... Um, Unsuccessful is the oh, after social media. <laughs> how many how many books do you have? <laughs> Four. Yeah, that's part of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I count I count some of the books I'm reading to my daughters in my numbers. My daughter yeah. in my numbers, just to bump the numbers up. So, like, sca- I've got Scarecrow's Wedding on the go. At the moment. <laughs> <laughs> There's also the kind of which is the nice thing of, of uh, dabbling into non-fiction and you know, yeah. yourself in an atlas or a dictionary. Yes, absolutely. Which is quite nice. Which I guess that's, those are quite um, not nostalgic, but actually, when you know, we, when it's that thing, isn't it, when we're surrounded by so much information, but actually, the, the actual tactile relationship yeah. to looking up a dictionary in an atlas is different I, than. I a, mean, there too. If if I had to choose a desert island book, it would be a dic- dictionary or an atlas. I think because you can make all your own stories from them. Um, a, a good Chambers dictionary with its lovely red pages of facts as well in the middle. I'd never need to speak to anyone again. <laughs> just me, the coconuts, and some definitions. <laughs> um, the coconut. <laughs> so it's one at the back. Uh, hello. So that'd be you and Weatherspoons. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's <laughs> like Tom Hanks, <laughs> two coconuts. <laughs> it's, it's a lovely image. Um, <laughs> so I'm just curious, which novel made you cry four times yesterday? Uh, oh yeah, good. <laughs> so that's a good question. I'm chairing it this afternoon, so I better not cry in front of the sellout as well, isn't it? Um, e- Ethan Hawke's uh, Ethan Hawke, <laughs> 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 Ethan Kanin's uh, novel, ah. uh, Dou- A Doubter's Almanac, which is um, the last. It's a, a very surprisingly tender book in places. It's quite tough in places and about alcoholism and drugs mm. a bit as well. But uh, as usual with me, it was tender moments about his daughter, which will will get me. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Tickets, there are a few tickets to look oh, at. Oh, there, right. Right. So, yeah. But that, yeah. See, that's the, the, I've only half read that book. This is my professional... It's, it's 550 pages. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. Hi. Um, how do you feel about lending books to other people? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's it's another... Before, so, yeah, <laughs> if you could do another quick straw poll. Who lends books to people? <laughs> It's very generous. Who doesn't lend books to people? Ah, I think it's a bit of a, bit of a slight... This is like Brexit, isn't it? Yeah, I know. <laughs> tearing, See, tearing elec- election night, here we go. Um, <laughs> You're tearing the country apart with democracy, it's <laughs> terrible. Who lends books but never gets them back? Oh, yeah. Nothing worse than Well, so it's in the, the, an Arab proverb, only a, only a fool lends a book, which is in, in, in the book. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I don't suppose I do lend books much really which is terrible but 
I think it's a lovely thing because you're trying to have that bond with someone usually and say, you'll love this, I know you'll love this. And it places the burden on the reader, of course, <laughs> which is not always a great thing. But no, you never get them back, do you? Um, as a writer, I'm fully against people <laughs> lending books to each other. <laughs> and the worst thing anyone ever says to you is, oh, I've lent this to six of my mates and they loved it. And you're like... <laughs> <laughs> you're like, six <laughs> times, nine, nine, nine. So Just... Uh, barefoot child going to <laughs> school thanks to that <laughs> to your generosity <laughs> have you ever yeah so the, the whole that thing of people foisting a book on you mm. have you then gone oh that was great loved it oh yeah but not or not even read it <laughs> um, there's one of them one of the chapters is about pretending to have read something you should have read which I think more of us should admit to all the all the classics, you know, a lot of the classics and things. And yeah, I don't know why. I I think other people do it too. And in the end, you'll usually read the book you're supposed to read. It turns out it is quite good. <laughs> um, there's a lot of deceit in reading. I'm yeah. finding as I speak in this therapy group today. <laughs> <laughs> do you think there's a lot of snobbery? Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think, and it depresses me enormously because everyone, whatever anyone wants to to read, if it gives them an escape and some enjoyment I, it doesn't matter what it is mm. it's all about what they enjoy and if I f it took me a long time to find the courage to give up on books I'm not enjoying which yeah. is another chapter um, uh, because you, there's something in you the comp whether it's the completest in you or what wants to finish but that's one of those things that those shibboleths that you have to get rid yeah. of really and people should just read what they like that's the democracy of it <laughs> is it yeah is that people do have that strange feeling that they mm. must finish a book. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I'm I would ask the audience about that one, but I might be <laughs> pushing my audience participation <laughs> a bit too far. Um, some more questions? Sorry, sorry. Oh, you can... It's not a question, it's a statement. I'm, I've been retired for so long now. Keep and one back of the great pleasures, I look forward to winter, because I no conscience for sitting down reading a book all afternoon and it's wonderful mm. and there's books I've read probably like other people I've had to close it because I couldn't stand the sadness in the book have <laughs> you ever felt like that? The, the I couldn't take it I said I'll have to come back to it afterwards uh, the, the sheer oh, impact yes. hits yes. you so much yeah I, I think that's uh, yeah. plenty of novels that can absolutely. that can hit you so intensely that um, they must be taken in, in portions there's something brilliant about but the, the kind of hiding away in winter to read. Yeah, yeah. It's but the also it's the reading season. in summer. That's like true. My, yeah, one of my favourite book smells is the sunshine on a book. That's nice. But, that, uh, but you always, always that thing, I'm kind of going, I can't. Yeah. Glasses or sunglasses? That's very lovely. That's I'll, I'll steal that for uh, any future edition. There you go. I agree with your comments about libraries. And uh, I think that libraries today are more critical than ever in a world of sound bites and fake news and so on. Underpinnings of democracy, bastions of um, critical thinking and of, uh, you know, of, uh, of detail rather than sound bite. I, where I come from, which is New York, libraries are very threatened by both budget cuts in government and real estate values and so on. Uh, I was wondering what uh, how libraries are threatened here. You mentioned that, and what can be done about it? Well, it's hard not to be entirely political and say 
what can be done about it is a political party with the strength to put council tax up and fund them properly. That's the very easy solution. Um, the libraries that are closing, some of them are being maintained by volunteers, but that's not a long-term plan either. And, and great as people are that will do that and will volunteer, they don't have the skills and training and knowledge of your, of your librarian, who's, who's it's a vocation for very often. So it's just a raw political answer. Fund them properly. Have some courage to pay more tax for something that rewards way more than you pay for it. Very, mm. why aren't they in power? <laughs> it's, it's also, I've noticed now it's also almost becoming um, a self fulfilling prophecy because of the cuts. So, my local library uh, used to be open, open all day on a Saturday, mm. but now it's only open to one. Uh, and, and for all of us who, you know, my thing was to take my kids, but I can't take my kids because it's only open to one because on a Saturday morning they're yeah. doing swimming or football because that's the only time. It, so, they don't go to the library, which means the fig- figures are down, which means people go, well, no one's going to the library, so we can... Uh, yeah, I remember the exact moment I wanted to write that chapter, which was one of the libraries I go and work in. I was, it was five o'clock and the bell went, they've got a brilliant old bell <laughs> to get rid of you. And fi- five o'clock on a Thursday, I just couldn't believe it, but mm. that was the new, the new hours. And y- you get told there's one, you know, three miles away that's up until nine. That's no good to people that can't get around much and are f- frightened of being out or whatever. So. I know. So It'd be great. One of the things I'd love if you'd be able to open them on a Sunday... Yeah, that would. Yeah, that'd be a nice counterbalance to that. But that no triple time, I think, for that kind of. <laughs> I think there's a, a question at the back, up in the Bosco Gods. How do you feel about second-hand bookshops? Oh, I feel brilliant. <laughs> 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 I, I uh, that they're beyond the great temples of football, such as Cowden Beath. Um, <laughs> they are a home to me and. Uh, there's a chapter, in there, I call them old bookshops, I should have called them second-hand bookshops, but they are palaces and I lose hours and pounds and while they exist, I, th- I always feel society is going to be all right. Um, I, I just can't say enough to walk... How, what's the correct um, phrase for the area in town called? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, area of Edinburgh that has lots of strip bars and bookshops near, is near a favourite gra- of mine. <laughs> near the grass market. <laughs> near the, the grass, grass market. market. There are two or three shops there. <laughs> the university quarter. The there. university quarter. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I long, long may they live. Mm. And I will um, choose holiday destinations and it's a big factor to find that there's a, a local bookshop there that I can lose time in. Part of my JB Priestley quest is I must never order any of his books online. I always have to stumble across them and they're the place to always find them. Ah. That's a book of the future, isn't it? The How I Found JB Priestley. It would be good. Find, yeah. But would that be filed in travel or literature? Well. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my... This is the big problem with this book. They don't yeah, the see. shops aren't... It's, there's nowhere really to put it. So they the miscellaneous. It. Yeah, it's in humour actually. Is it? It's funny, I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to have that on the front. It is funny, I'll give you that. (laughs) (laughs) Don't say I'm not generous. Um, Short and funny in places. Yes, exactly. Uh, It's the the question there. That's one that I've never done. I travelled up from Teesside to see you, and I guess this ties in with your other book because that's the home of Middlesbrough Football Club. The home of football, yeah. yeah. Yes. And I've I've actually got a question for you from Richard Drake, who owns the only indie book, in fact, probably the only bookshop Mm -hmm. in Stockton-on-Tees. He said, 
trying to get you and a local author together is like herding cats. <laughs> and he wants to know when you're going to come down <laughs> and talk to us. Then. I did think it was going to be, when are you going to reply to his email? Yeah. <laughs> it, has, it has been impossible. It's me and a couple of others, Harry Pearson being one of them, who's my great, great hero, actually. Soon, I hope. But um, it, the trouble now is I, always, I only go back for home games and Harry... Harry doesn't go and watch uh, the Borough anymore. He goes to Northern League. It's a very technical explanation. <laughs> but there are, there's a footballing excuse for everything, but that's yeah. very kind that you came from God's, God's own country. Uh, yeah. um, and uh, Artistic differences, I think, that yeah. can be filed under. No, it's been in a, I've done a few events with Harry Pearson, and it's just mind-blowing for me because the far corner, his book on North East football, was probably the one, a step that led me to try and be a writer. And I still, he'll email me and I still can't call him Harry. I still go to my wife, oh, Harry Pearson's emailed me. And she's like, do you mean who you know? And <laughs> just <laughs> wait, but getting to know who, someone who's your hero really mm, is a, mm. a strange and humbling thing. Oh, I, yeah, I remember reading his books when I was younger as well. Yeah. Kind of, there is that, and I guess um, there is that interesting thing of uh, being that whole kind of being a, a, a young boy and trying to get into reading and yeah. trying, you know, that kind of that f- kind of news headline that boys don't read yeah. and finding, finding ways in Pe- people like Harry Pearson are, are there absolutely ways in and all of these are ways in I can remember uh, the fourth year of junior school I was reading the, the Gaza biography by Peter Davies I think and it all played out as well and that would be kind of looked down on because it was a football book. Mm. But the point is, I was reading and they were quite heavy books. And recently for the work we've been doing, uh, an um, unnamed benefactor uh, has a- asked to give the book that was an author's favourite when he or she were a teenager to all the kids, that, to the teenagers that we've been working with uh, in places. And I found that really hard because mm. most of mine were football books <laughs> and, and things like that. Um, the best thing was the other day when I was in front of 30 teenagers in East Kilbride and I, at the end, I said, um, well, a kind benefactor has given... And they all looked like that. And I thought, oh, God, do you think I'm the secret millionaire? This is horrendous. I'm not here, really, to talk about writing. <laughs> it was an awful moment, and I handed them all a copy of The Outsider by Albert Camus, really? and they were like, fuck's this. That would have been a beautiful moment. Um, there was a, qu- a question over here as well. That... In- um, for for write, well, that's the thing one uh, that struck me about Ian Banks. Actually, he was a writer who managed to go across, and he was the one. B- mm. He was the one Scottish writer all my mates read. Yeah, uh, there's always he, I think particularly for Espadare Street because it was about rock and roll, and there's a rather saucy yeah, scene on the beach. That can be that universal. <laughs> a question there. Do you watch booktubers at all? Sorry, I can't. Do you watch the booktubers at all? Anything on booktube? On YouTube. I'd book channels oh I d- no I've not heard mm. of it actually booktube brilliant oh, I'll, I'll, uh, <laughs> my daughter got me into it this right. year my TBR's exploded and I think one of the best things for me is there are a lot of youngsters who do it and I think future reading signed because they're all collecting books reading books telling us about the books mm. they read and that there are some super booktubers out there and it's worth a look it takes away your reading time though you can get sucked into yeah, it but it's, it's good to know the new technologies and all this, this mm. newfangled internet thing um, can, <laughs> can do that though it's not like you, just because you read books you can't do that and, that, and that's, that's good if they can complement each other like that I guess but also in, in response to the question about secondhand bookshops you have been on the newfangled internet and there's a very lovely YouTube film where you're yeah we've done a few of the films the film films short films are a lovely way to 
get what the book's about across really quickly online. I did five for Saturday 3 p.m. We've done three so far for this, and there are two more on the way. The difficulty with this book is thinking how to visualise. I work in telly a bit anyway on other stuff, and um, they're always on like, but how do you visualise that? <laughs> uh, but how, what you actually see in with some of these chapters beyond just someone going like that. You in a pub y- with yeah, a Yeah, just me going, ah, like <laughs> <laughs> I think we have time for one last question, if anyone wants to be that person who ends it all. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, fairly straightforward. Uh, do you have a favourite foo- football book? Uh, yeah, it's a tie between The Far Corner by Harry Pearson and um, Ron Ferguson's book Black Diamonds and the Blue Brazil about cowed and beef. Which is <laughs> a... Is a the th- I mean, we joke about football. All The things I love about football are social history and minutiae, if you use that word again, and uh, watching the people at the match, um, mm. its place in society. And Ron Ferguson's book, which was, a, I guess you call it a cult classic, and it has been re- republished, actually, um, mixes the politics of Cowden Beef. You know, Cowden Beef was in an incredible, radical place with the importance of coal to football, of the players leaving the shift at 12 and playing in the afternoon, with them on this horrendous run where they didn't win for a year in the early 90s. And it's just a perfect mix for me, and uh, w- and I'm hopefully well. I am doing an event with him in Orkney in, in a, uh, a book, book week, which will be a real ah, privilege. Mm. Uh, oh, good, uh, good. <laughs> <laughs> and there was, it, it, but it is that thing actually. If you kind of it, the, the the you know the Saturday three pm, it's not. It is about football, but it's about those little moments around it. And, yeah, you know, the sitting in the car with your dad while you're stuck in traffic. I mean, it's so generic that my wife even got halfway through (laughs) (laughs) Um, we've unfortunately run out of time Um, and then thanks mum but Daniel as you may know will be signing (laughs) you can also just come and ask him a question for free Um, or they may invoice you afterwards (laughs) Um, in the little book tent next door, um, yeah, scribbles in the margin. It's a, it's you know it's a genuinely very very lovely book, and we all are here because I suspect we are all readers, or we might have just been wanting to go to Witherspoons and took a left. <laughs> um, but it's very brilliant. It's very uh, observant, and it does you do spend your time going, <laughs> mm, oh yes, which then annoys the person who's trying to get to sleep next to you, because <laughs> uh, Daniel is a very very fine writer who observes society and people. Uh, with humour and skill and uh, he's been brilliant working with us uh, and hopefully he'll be writing more I hope so of these. it's not up to me <laughs> well it's kind of you've well, you got to go <laughs> your daughter's like that no the, I, meant, I meant publishers oh uh, well yeah sales love publishers. figures um, so yes Daniel will be next door please give a very very warm thank you to Daniel Gray thank you More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for EdBookFest. The next book festival is on from the 11th to the 27th of August 2018.